Okay, today is May the 19th, 2011. Y'all all look anxious every time I give you the date. Like, okay. I've got a two-foot calendar in front of me. They go by so fast, don't they? Okay, let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. The opportunity to name privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you are our God and you change not. We can always depend upon your grace and mercy and we can always depend upon you caring for us, giving us your provision and your protection. And you give us this time now for us to recharge our spiritual batteries so that we'll be able to not just survive, but indeed be overcomers in the devil's world. We thank you for this and pray that you will help us to concentrate, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You know, it's hard to keep an RMA when you watch the news. You ever notice that? Tonight I was watching the news and I saw that our president is trying to have Israel return back to its 1967 borders, which is nearly tantamount to suicide. Then the next thing on the agenda is the uh, two weeks from hurricane season. It's supposed to be a dilly. So they're going to be, they estimate there's going to be 18 of them, 18 named ones, and maybe six major ones. It's going to be, it's predicted to be more exciting than, than the normal year will be. I don't know how much more excitement I can take. <laughs> I like some good news. How about you? Well, just stay tuned in because we have some good news tonight and it's coming right from the Word of God. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We finished the last two verses of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, kind of. Kind of means that we're going to look at the last few verses just quickly before we press on. Let's read verse 13 through 17. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this that He called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You ought to circle that, underline it, mark it somehow. We just can't read right past that 
and not notice the tremendous grace that God has offered believers that we may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The more you know about the Lord Jesus Christ, the more you know about the glory that He has and the more phenomenal this Scripture is. Verse 15. So then, brethren, stand firm. That is not a suggestion. Imperative mood, that is a command. And we spent some time looking at that. And hold to the tradition which you were taught, whether by word or mouth or by letter from us. Now, you may have a notation there. In traditions, you could supply the words Bible doctrine there and it would suffice. And we looked how these traditions are the traditions that were taught. It was the doctrines that were taught by the apostles. And it is, is nothing to do with the traditions of the church. And we look at we spent I don't know how long one night looking at what it t- what it takes to be to to be beatified in order to be canonized so that you can become a saint which you already are. Now the reason he says by word of mouth or by letter from us because the, at the first part of this chapter we saw that they were very bent out of shape because there were people promulgating false doctrines. They received a Ford's letter to the tune that the rapture had already taken place and they thought that they had missed it and the day of the Lord had begun. It was quite a mess. And so Paul is helping them get back on a, on a level footing here, getting stabilized. Verse 16, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, remember Himself is the first word in the Greek because it is emphasizing He's not sending anyone, He's not delegating he himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. Eternal comfort and good hope. We'll look at that on the board in a moment. Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. If you look up on the board, you'll see that we have... Uh, what I, one, thing I want, one reason I want to go back to verse... 16 and 17, was because I want to focus on this hope again. It's it's very important for us to have hope. It's important for us to know what hope is. Hope is confidence. It is not hoping that you win the lottery. According to this, it's looking forward to something with a reason for confidence respecting fulfillment. It is confident expectation. Endurance and hope are joined at the hip. If you don't have hope, you're not going to endure. You have to have hope in order to endure. When everything starts really pressing in, and you know how that, how that can happen, maybe it was one of those days for you today. It was kind of that way for me. It's just like the harder I work, the less it seemed like I got done. Sometimes it can be a little menial task. We have a cabinet door and the latch wore out on it, on the bottom. And Carrie said, Honey, will you fix that for me? Of course, dear, I'll handle it. 
Now, I'm behind on everything as it is already, but I think I can put on a latch. One thing I found out, the littler the parts, the harder it is for me these days, and glasses don't even hardly cut it anymore. I'm trying little bitty screws about a quarter of an inch long, and I'm trying to get them in wood, and I can't, all I see is a blur. I put my glasses on, <laughs> and I get a screwdriver, and it's like <laughs> trying to get that on. Well, we fight that for about a half an hour, and nothing's working. I found a new, a new use for a hammer. <laughs> it's a quick removal of a latch that isn't working. Anyway, I got another. The whole point is, is sometimes it can be a little thing that gets so exasperating. Terry said, well, why don't you just leave that and get it back later? No, I'm going to get it now. That's really smart. Even in times like that, now that's the charge of the mosquito, but even in times like that, you have to have hope. Because sometimes it's not always the big overwhelming things that can just bring you low, is it? Sometimes it can be a latch on a cabinet. It can be anything. And we have to have that doctrine circulating in our stream of consciousness because the latches are going to break. Or something is going to break. Things are going to start pressing in and what gets you to endure it all is hope and you cannot have hope if you don't have doctrine. That's how important it is. Ignorance and hopelessness go together. People that don't know the promises of God, they don't know anything about eschatology. It's all just a big nebulous, abstruse idea as far as they're concerned. And they have no hope. They don't have confidence. We have to look beyond this life because I'm amazed, and I'm sure you are too, because this is a pretty old crowd here. <laughs> let's face it. We're not exactly spring chickens. And time, the older you get, the faster life goes. Is that right? And I keep thinking, if it goes any faster, I'm just going to miss the whole thing. It's just a blur. It's just like we, paint, we tear these monthly pages off. So, good hope. We have to have that good hope so that we can endure. And then, by grace, the Greek word for grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. It's a noun. Cusative singular feminine, and it means unmerited favor. A favor done without expectation of return. You don't see that too many times these days. We were in the prayer meeting a while ago and we were talking about how many needs of the, are, are in, of the people in this church. Many of them are health needs. And one of the things we pray for is that there will be charis in the hearts of the fellow brothers and sisters that go to this church. And I'm very encouraged because I see it happening. I don't know how it happens. I don't get involved when... People drive other people to Bible class and go over and take care of things for people who are in need. But if a, if a church has nothing but academic knowledge and they're not applying it, it's not a strong church. It's knowing it and applying it. And it all has to do with charis. 
We have the, the wonderful, we just saw in the verse we just read, God's grace extended to us that he would think that blobs like us in his plan could share the glory of his son. The fact that Jesus Christ became a man, lower, a, a creature lower than the angels, and went to the ghastly horrors of the cross is the height of grace. If God treats us graciously that way, how are we to treat each other? In grace, of course. So it's done without expectation of return. Then comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Comfort, power, kaleo, to call to the side. We need to be strengthened. Look at this word. We're going to see this word again in a little bit. Strengthen is sterizo. I saw something about a bicycler on the news tonight. I don't know whether it was steroids. They're accusing him of taking some kind of drug. What's his name? Yeah, Lance Armstrong. And it's, even today, sterizo and steroids is front and center on the news from time to time. But this kind of strengthen is not a physical strength from drugs. This is a spiritual type of strength. A spiritual type of strength. First of all, you don't have to purchase it. It's free. Second of all, it's not against the law. Thirdly, there's not any side effects. And this is the kind of strength that we need, the strength of soul and spirit. And you know where our strength of soul and spirit comes from, don't you? If you're in the junior class, they would say Bible doctrine. Anytime they don't know what the answer is, they'll say Bible doctrine. They figure they got a 50-50 chance. <laughs> Receiving comfort and strength is a potential. Remember, these were the optimi- these uh, strengthen and comfort are both active optatives. An optative mood means that it's a potential in the form of a desire. It was. Paul's desire that the Thessalonians believers would be comforted and strengthened, but it was only a potential because it was up to them whether they were going to do what was necessary in order to receive comfort and strength. And you do not receive comfort and strength and ignore God and His Word. In your hearts, that the heart isn't the pump. It's the real you. It's the dominant portion of the soul, the seat of the intellect, which includes our norms and standards and so forth. That's where strength is. I have a neighbor. She's 82 years old. She lives by herself in a house that's probably nearly twice as old as she is. She has 80 acres, and she is very tough in her soul. Uh, I might have told you uh, about a month ago, uh, she was losing chickens and she went out into the, uh, during the day, she went out to check on the chickens and there was a bobcat that had one of the chickens in their mouth. And she grabbed her broom and attacked the bobcat. Now, it ran away. But I'd say that's pretty tough in your soul. And then the other day I went over there and I was taking her something and she was telling me about uh, she was getting eggs out of the barn, and um, she, there was a snake inside the, one of the places where they uh, 
lay the eggs. And uh, she reached in there to give the, get the egg, and the snake struck at her, and it made her mad. Instead of getting a, a something you know, like a gun or a club or something, uh, I don't remember. I think it was her cap, and she started hitting her with her cap or something, and it bit her on the finger. It wasn't a poisonous snake. It was a chicken snake. Chicken snakes make you hurt yourself. They're about six feet long, usually. And she said, uh, well, I just came in. I, I, I had some, um, what is that stuff you put in the water? Uh, salt? Epsom salt. She said, uh, I, it was good the other day. I soaked it for my rheumatism or whatever. <laughs> she put her finger and soaked it in the Epsom salt. And she said the next day she was doing fine. Now, I admire and respect that lady. Uh, she, has, she is tough in the soul and spirit. That's one type of toughness. There's a physical type of toughness, and there's that type of toughness. But none, neither one of those compare with spiritual toughness. Because spiritual toughness relies on the Lord's power, not our own. Okay, are you all ready for chapter, third, uh, chapter 3? Here we go. You can look on the board or look in your notes. This is the last chapter in 2 Thessalonians. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. We start with the word finally, brethren. Paul set up this epilogue in order to tie up some loose ends and end the epistle. And he starts it here, finally. And he's just going to start bringing some things together. And then he says, pray for us. Pray for us is the Greek word prosuchomai, P-R-O-S-E-U-C-H-O-M-A-I. And it's a verb. It's the uh, present middle imperative. The present tense means what? You keep doing it. You don't do it just one time. Keep on praying. The middle voice, we don't have a middle voice in the English, but in the Greek it means that you are benefited by the action that you produce. Uh, it's reciprocal. And, of course, the uh, imperative mood means it's a command. If you don't know about these little symbols here, I adopted this, I don't know, what, 10 years ago or so. I, I give you the word, pray, in all capital letters in the English. Then I give it to you in the Greek. You might That might look like Chinese to you, but there are guys here that can read this, and it helps them stay sharp. Then you have V for ber verb, P is for present tense, middle is the M, that's the middle uh, voice, and the mood here is imperative. Now, the reason we don't have an I for the imperative mood is because there's also an indicative mood, and it gets an I. So we have an M here for the imperative mood and just think of it as a mandate is one way we have in the library little flyers there that give you all this in it and so if you want to keep abreast of it that's the way to do it so the word prosukamai uh, means to pray ask or beseech notice that this was not a request but a command the middle voice indicates that the person who prays is benefited by the prayer as well as the one who is prayed for. That's quite a deal, isn't it? That's a win-win situation. 
Whenever you pray, middle voice means you are benefited by it as well as the person that you're praying for. It seems that our burdens become lighter when we pray for others. I don't know how often you pray, but it's not enough. I don't pray enough. None of us pray enough. However, when we do pray, one thing that seems to... Well, let's put it this way. What I noticed is when I'm praying for other people, praying for y'all, it makes my burden seem lighter. And when you start praying for a number of people and you see all the weight, the problems that they have, it makes you think, you know, maybe I don't have it so bad after all. That's one of the benefits. Of course, we're being obedient when we pray. And there, of course, the Lord is going to... Um, that's a benefit for you. Satan knows that if he can bring down the leader of an organization, the organization will fall as well. That is certainly true of churches, and that's one reason pastors need our prayers. See, Paul was an apostle. He was a church leader, and he's not only commanding them to pray for him, but those who were with him. And one reason is because the leaders of churches, the leaders of any organization are targets. But especially in the angelic conflict, it, 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 it's the leaders of the believers, local churches and so forth, as well as deacons, are targets because they have responsibility. The more responsibility you have, the more you're going to be a target. I know that some of you pray for me because I've heard you do it. And it's something that is going to benefit you. Not only by it might lighten your load, but when you pray for a pastor, then it means that he is going to receive the strength and the discernment, everything he needs in order to keep the church on track. He needs that type of support. And when the church stays on track and their priorities and focus is correct when there is love and grace being shown between believers when they are growing in grace and they are applying doctrine that's a benefit for you so why not pray for the leaders i find it sometimes hard to pray for the leaders of our nation because i don't particularly like them but i don't have a choice the bible tells me to pray for these people and it's it's to our benefit because their decisions affect us. Romans 15.30 Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Do you ever see praying as striving? Have you ever found yourself striving to stay awake while you were praying? Huh? The one thing, one reason that people don't like to pray, I'm talking about a real prayer, this now lay me down to sleep business is hardly, uh, I guess you could call it a, pray, a prayer. When I was little, I was taught... Every night when you go to bed, 
Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to, to take. I don't even. I, I just said it in about a half a second. Now I was gone. That's not the prayer I'm talking about. I'm talking about prayers that re require thought, concentration, specifics. That's why a lot of people don't pray. Or if they do, uh, God bless Country Bible Church. But what is that? There's no concentration there. There's no specifics. How would you like to have a relationship with every time you saw somebody, someone and the whole relationship was, uh, how are you doing today? Fine. Well, fine. Bye. And that was it. That's some, some people, that's their prayer life. Strive together with me in your prayers for me. Ephesians 6.19 And pray on my behalf. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18. Pray for us. These are requests and commands for prayer for spiritual leaders. Even the writer of Hebrew, Hebrews. Now, Ephesians, Romans, and 1 Thessalonians were all requests or commands from Paul to pray. So here we have it. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly. So after we have... Pray for us. We have that. That is hina, H-I-N-A in the Greek. And it's a purpose, sets up a purpose clause. This is the purpose for the prayer. That the word of the Lord will spread rapidly. This is a purpose clause stating one of the purposes for the command to pray. There are many hindrances and obstacles that must be removed so that the word of the Lord can flourish. Uh, I've, I've done, I've, I was in spiritual warfare even before this church even began. The Lord was opening up all kinds of doors that, things that I had no control over. Uh, the log house over there was our model home and it had to sell. I had property out, I had development out in Chapel Hill and I was involved in that. And, and there were so many things that had to take place for this church to be here. And all of a sudden, boom, 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 they all started happening. In one month, everything changed. The door was open. And we were all excited because we decided that we were going to split the land in half and we are going to build this church. And then we went to an attorney's office and hit a brick wall. Someone tried their best to keep it from happening. And what could we do? We just relied on the grace of God and His provision. And before the meeting was over, everything changed 180 degrees. So there are people and there are organizations, there are things out there that do not want the Word of God to get out. One of Satan's main goals is to slow down or even stop the spread of Bible doctrine. He has tried unsuccessfully throughout the ages to destroy Bibles. Since he can't destroy it, he tries to neutralize it. Have any of, you, any of you ever had anyone ask you or talk to you about going to church? And you might say, well, we go to church on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Sundays. And some people might think that's odd to go to church on Tuesday night. Or here, a Thursday night? Wednesday night is usually the, the night. They wouldn't question that, but on a Tuesday or a Thursday? 
when I was years ago, I was I went to church six times a day. And people would ask me, what church do you go to? I said, well, I go to Baraka Church. And they would say, well, um, do you go during the week too? I said, yes. And then they would say, oh, on Wednesdays? I said, yes. And they saw something in my eye because I was just hoping that they were going to ask me more. I said, we go on other days too. When's that? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night out at the movies, and twice on Sunday. Try that on for size. And when I was going to that church, that church, I think, what did they say? Seats 900, is that it? Something like that? So 900 or more, maybe 1,000 or more. I don't know. You know? Anybody know? It's a lot of folks. Anyway, and it was every night of the week, it was packed. You had to get there early to get a seat. And it shows what's happened to... I guess, uh, positive volition over the years. So he tries to neutralize it any way he, that he can. And be glorified. Now both verbs, spread and glorified, are in the subjunctive mood. Let's look at the verse again. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. Now what I'm telling you is the word spread and glorified both are in the subjunctive mood. The subjunctive mood means it's only a potential. It's not the indicative mood, it's the, in, the subjunctive mood, meaning that they're only a potential. So the potential becomes a reality through what? Prayer. It just doesn't happen. We need to be praying. The Word of God is glorified by those who believe it and apply it. Do you hear that? That's the way you glorify God's Word is, first of all, hear it and then apply it. Now, you're here. You're hearing it. You're halfway there. And even when you're here, I assume everyone here is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your mentor. He's teaching you the spiritual phenomenon that we are studying this evening. And so it goes into your cardia. Remember, strengthen your heart. It goes into your long-term memory bank. But it doesn't do any good if it sits there and grows cobwebs. We have to apply it. That's how we glorify the Word of God is to know it or study it and to use it. Then we have just as it did also with you. So we have Paul use the Thessalonians to prove the point he was making. The Word of God was certainly glorified by the Thessalonians. No doubt this was encouraging to them to hear their leader commend them in such a fashion. I already commended y'all once tonight. Did you catch it? Did you get it? That y'all are showing charis to one another? Grace? You're being gracious to other believers? That's a manifestation of love? And the Bible says if you don't have love, what are you? <coughs> Clanging cymbal. How would you like to go to an orchestra and there were 47 cymbals and that was it? Wouldn't last long, would it? <laughs> Verse 2. And that we will be rescued. The word rescued is ruamai. R-U-O-M-A-I. It's a verb. It's the aorist passive subjunctive. Again, another subjunctive. It means to draw or to snatch from danger, to rescue or deliver. 
Once again, we have the subjunctive mood. This too depends on prayers of other believers. We're talking about the Lord rescuing us. Romans chapter 15, verse 30 and 31. Now I urge you, brethren, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayer. I already had that. How'd that get in there again? For God, uh, for me, that I may be rescued. There it is. May be rescued. I didn't have this. I only had the uh, verse 30. I didn't have verse 31 before. That I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. So we, we see that they needed prayer. Have you ever noticed when missionaries come? We just had uh, Dan and Pat Hill here a few weeks ago. And what did they say the same as what all the other missionaries say? What do they, what do they covet more than anything? Prayers. Because they are on the front lines. And they need that artillery barrage of prayer to soften things up so that they can be effective. So it says, And that we will be rescued... From perverse, now perverse is atamas, A-T-O-M-O-S. It's an adjective. It's a genitive plural masculine. It's a compound word. The A is the alpha negative. It means with not or without. And tamas means place. So it means without place. It, literally, unsuitable, improper, inconvenient, unreasonable, or hurtful. Turned, to turned away from what is right or good. That all those words describe perverse, and there are per, perverse people. We we use it in a little bit different way, don't we? When we say of perverse, we kind of it goes with the word a pervert, and a lot of times they, we, it has the connotation of a sexual pervert. Uh, some of the slang is they call them pervs, perverts. But the the word here means that there's. It's unsuitable. They're out of place. They're not right. They're unreasonable. So to that they would be rescued, these leaders, from perverse and evil men. Now, evil men here is poneros, P-O-N-E-R-O-S, adjective, it's, to is genitive plural masculine. It means evil, wicked, malicious, or mischievous. The fact that these types of men, I shouldn't put men, I just should say people, are found just about everywhere is not surprising. However, what is surprising to some is that is to realize that they are also found in churches. That goes against the thinking of some. There are some outside the church who think people who believe in God and go to church are a bunch of self-righteous hypocrites. And they like doing everything they can to discredit or ridicule Christians. I've seen this, I don't know how long. If you ever see a person that likes to lump all Christians in the same lump and say they're all hypocrites and they're all self-righteous, what are they doing when they're judging us? Huh? Are they not being self-righteous and hypocritical? So that's those that are an outside of church. Now there are some inside the church, a particular denomination, who see those of other denominations or those who are of other beliefs as enemies. They seek to discredit and besmirch those who see things differently from themselves. There's not many people that think the way we do. We might as well, you've, you've already found that out, I'm sure. There's not many people that know the Bible. They don't have correct doctrinal 
uh, systematic theology in their soul. But the people who disagree with us are not our enemies. They are confused. And we don't want to argue with them, try to overcome them. First of all, we want to do what for them? Huh? Pray, right. We pray for them. And then if we have the chance, we, we give them some insight with regards to the Word of God if the opportunity presents itself. But we don't push. We don't argue. It's, it's not a battleground in that sense. But some people think it is. Some people would say, well, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Baptist. Well, I'm a Lutheran. Well, let's just, let's just draw a line and we'll just have it out right here. Doesn't make much sense, does it? But there are people who think that way. Then there are those who are in the local assembly who are hard to deal with because they are unreasonable and domineering. So you have those outside the church. You have certain segments of church, certain denominations, or certain uh, belief systems that clash. Then you have some inside the church. They, one of the hard things for a pastor is that there's a lot of different opinions that y'all hold. And that's fine. That's the way it should be. We all have different opinions. And you've heard it said before that a pastor can't please everyone. That's certainly true. Some of you in here might be a little cool right now. Some of you are a little bit hot. Some of you wish I would go a little faster. Some of you wish I'd go a little bit slower. Some of you wish this, that, or the other thing. And the great thing is if a pastor is doing his job, he is led by the Holy Spirit. And he teaches in such a way, the only way, I don't, I listen to what you say, but you're always overridden by the Holy Spirit. Even with regards to what to teach. I learned the hard way on this one. I'll tell you about this one. Years ago, most of you, or at least a lot of you that are here now, weren't even here when this occurred. But there were people who would come to me and say, won't you teach the fundamentals? Won't you just teach basic, the, a basic series? Over and over they came to me and said this. So I finally acquiesced. I said, okay, I'll do it. So I started teaching it, and guess what? They didn't show up. And the people that, that didn't need the basics, more mature believers were showing up, and they were getting the basics, and the ones that said, well, won't you teach the basics, didn't show up. And I learned from that. So if you come up and tell me, won't you teach the basics? <laughs> See, they didn't, they didn't hear that on the internet. <laughs> um, this is a quote from J. Vernon McGee. I, I just love J. Vernon McGee. May I tell you that I like J. J. Vernon McGee? <laughs> May I say? Uh, Paul asked for prayer. This is a quote by him. Paul asked for prayer that he might be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. I find that the spreading of the gospel is hindered more by people in the church than by anything else. No liquor industry... No bar room, no gangster ring has ever attacked me. At least I have never known about it. But I have had so-called saints in the churches attack me. And you know in our churches we have the saints and the ain'ts. And there are a lot of ain'ts. 
They can give a pastor a rough time. It's too bad that we can't all settle down and give out the Word of God. That's uh, a good advice. For not all have faith. See, in your, your translation, uh, if you're reading a New American Standard, it says uh, that we, uh, for not all have faith. But actually the Greek says not all have the faith. There's an article before faith, and that changes everything. So it should read, for not all have the faith. Faith here refers to the embodiment of truth that is found in the Word of God. It is doctrines as they were taught by the apostles. Certainly not all of them, uh, not, certainly not all men have faith. That is, they don't have the faith. In fact, you're going to find that very few have the faith. And when he's describing these perverse and evil men that he is requesting prayer to be protected from, he is talking about those that do not have the faith. Acts 6-7 says, The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. That is the, the, realm, the whole realm of doctrine there. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men and be strong. Remember we did that when we, just in this same chapter, we were looking at the commands to be strong. It is rare to find believers these days who have the faith and even more rare to find believers who stand firm in it. This is another quote from J. Vernon McGee. It troubles me and it worries me to see that even those who claim to believe the Word of God give so little attention to it. Pray that if people profess to believe in the Word of God, they will get into it and find out what it says. You should be praying for believers at Country Bible Church. You should be praying for their diligence, that they will have spudazzo, that they will be hungry for the Word. Because even a small church like this can make a big impact. It's not the numbers in the church, it's the growth in the church, the spiritual growth. And if we all are praying for one another, that we will learn, meditate on, eat and drink the Word of God and that we will apply it. Great things can happen even from a small church like this. And, but you leave the prayer element out and not so much. We prayed, Pete, when was it? How long ago was it when we prayed for young people? Was that all just three years? Three or four years ago. We started praying for young people. I mean, in earnest, we were praying over and over for young people. Now we're saying, thank you, Lord. I think that's enough. No, we're not saying that's enough, really. But we are. We added a new junior class and a toddler room and a nursery. And guess what? He provided the means for that. He provides everything. But where did it start? It starts with prayer. It, everything. Remember this. To put first things first. Things always start or should start with prayer. Now, that would be a good place for me to end with prayer, wouldn't it? 
But i got one more thing to say. It was, uh, I just remembered, I should have given this on verses 16 and 17. Some of you that were here Tuesday night will remember this. I have a definition for grace and mercy and what the difference is. And if you hadn't written it down, get ready to write this one down because it's worth writing down. The difference between grace and mercy. Now, I've always heard that mercy is grace in action. And that's true. But here's your definition for grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. God gives us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve God's own righteousness. We don't deserve to be forgiven simply because we cite a sin. And we could go on and on, examples of grace. Grace is defined as getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. See the difference? I'm so thankful for God's mercy. <laughs> when I was about 12 years old, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was praying for God's mercy all the time. Not getting what we do deserve. Because my dad was a strong disciplinarian. And I just would chalk up I don't know how many whoopings that were due. And I would pray for that I would not get what I deserve. Whether that was legitimate, I don't know. But it does illustrate the point. Isn't that great? Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. What a God that we have. Let's close. Father, thank you so much for this time that we have to feed upon your Word. Prayer is as the air that we breathe. It's that necessary. We can't have a relationship with you apart from our prayer life. And so we, we pray that all of us will be very diligent in praying for one another, for the needs, for this church, for this pastor, for other doctrinal pastors. Desperately needed is prayer. We pray that we will see the need for that, that we'll utilize it, and also that we will continue to keep our priorities straight and as we see more and more and more bad news that we'll keep our head up looking up for that's where our deliverance comes and it could be soon. We thank you for all of this and we pray it in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.